Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You are listening to The Britflix. Frightfest Preview Podcast. Welcome back to part two of two of my conversation with Joe Lynch about his film Mayhem. If you're coming to this first, there is part one of two, and it's available in the same place where you got part one, most likely. So if you want to start at the beginning, go to part one. If you've already heard that, then here's part two. Can you give us an example of, uh, obviously without spoiling anything in terms of story, but is there any happy accidents you can point out for people to look at? I can give you, I can give you the, the happiest accident that has ever happened to me, ever. And, um, I, like, and this is not giving anything away, but if anyone who hears this or whatever sees the movie after and, and kind of appreciates where, wh- how this kind of came about, they will. Um, so there's the scene in the bathroom with Derek and Mel and they're, uh, you know, there's chaos going on around them. Mm-hmm. And in the script, it just said, Derek and Mel wait for the siren by the elevator. They wait. And then at the end of it, it's, you know, Derek checks his watch and he says like, oh shit, we only have four more hours left. We better get moving. That's all fine and good, but it didn't feel like it was a real moment. And I'm always looking for those real moments where people are just using, you know, whether it's the world around them or they're using pop culture or, you know, maybe it's because, you know, I'm a disciple of, uh, you know, or child of Tarantino where he's taking the mundane and making it into the important. Um, I, we, so we were moving so fast that, we would have this kind of um, very cool uh, way of, of, of prepping each day where before we would leave, we would kind of go through the next day and figure out like, okay, what are the limitations we have? What are the, what are the main things that we're doing? Because then we could all kind of go away and think about it and then come to the, you know, come the next day as prepared as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thankfully, because we had an extra 15 minutes, both um, Stephen and Samara, who didn't have their van here yet, they were like, we'll stick around. We'll just, um, you know, we'll, we'll stand in, you know, for the lighting so that Steve, my DP, could get it all set up. And then it's done. And then we, you know, we drop cable. And the next day we come in and we just start shooting. So I had them in their places. And we and the three of us were just talking. That was it. We were just kind of hanging out. And I threw the, the question out there. And again, none of that was in the, in the original script. I threw out the question of what are your three favorite bands? Go. And... Steven did his and Samara did hers. And the thing that I, I noticed was 
they weren't making it their choices. They were making it the character's choices. They were still kind of in character. Mm. And I got so jazzed over that that I immediately went home and I wrote out essentially what we talked about. So everything that's in that bathroom is essentially improv from the night before that I just put down on paper so that we would have it for the next day. So, we so her three favorite bands are what she says. Those are three. Those are Melanie's three. Yeah, Melanie's. Yeah, Melanie's. Yeah. Yep. So that that came from just us having this conversation, talking about Dave Matthews Band was just Stephen, just kind of riffing, and uh, and and I even told him like beforehand because I always do that with characters. I always come up with like bands that they like and movies that they that they enjoy and things that are reflective of their character using mm. pop culture, and you know the, some of some of Derek's favorite bands were. You know, more 90s bands like Faith No More and Deftones and, uh, you know, the Wallflowers and Dave Matthews Band. You know, there were just all these different like variants of of who Derek was. And so I went home, I wrote the script and sent it to Steven just to see if like he was jiving. He's like, this is fucking cool. Came in the next day. We shot that scene. And that is essentially my favorite scene in the movie, Mm. not just because of the creative process behind how it became, but I just felt like it was the perfect moment for me to allow the audience to truly fall in love with the characters. If you, if you're, if you've gotten to this point and you don't enjoy their company, then this movie's not for you. My apologies. But I just, <laughs> I felt, I really did fall in love with both of them. My, that was my, the geek, the geek, the metal geek in me loved the idea of someone in that moment, remembering to think that early anthrax, not just anthrax. Oh, of course. Early no, no. anthrax. <laughs> there, there's, there, there was a very that was actually my contribution. I was like, no, no, you got to say early anthrax. <laughs> if you say later anthrax, it's, it's not, it's not quite. You know, no, you got to, no. you got to give Joey Z his props. Uh, <laughs> but, but that, that was purely out of, like, out of improv. And then the whole thing with Dave Matthews Band somehow, without giving too much away, somehow weaving its way through the narrative in that second to third act. Mm. That was purely based on, that was purely organic. That was purely from, you know, a conversation that we had to us shooting that, that scene kind of improv mm. to me coming home after we shot and my editor, Josh, thinking it would be cheeky to throw the song, you know, to, to throw a track from Dave Matthews band somewhere in the movie and you know where it is. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and then when I watched it, I went like, son of a bitch, that is fucking brilliant. We will never get that song. It's way too expensive, but it's brilliant, and we should just try it. We should enjoy it while it lasts. And long story short, it just kept in. It kept making people laugh and making people enjoy the movie more, and fitting into the kind of world and the tone of, of the movie that we were trying to make. Mm-hmm. So much so that I went on practically an eight-month stalking spree of Dave Matthews to allow him to let me use the song. It, like it, it got to the point where their managers. As I was going about to drive six hours to a concert just to get the chance to talk to him, the managers went, "Stop! Don't get in your car. We'll <laughs> let you song for the festivals. That's fine." And then, um, and, and which was incredibly nice. Uh, and I'm sure that they were probably like avoiding a stalker situation. Uh, but then when we played it at South by and we played it in the last couple of festivals, it just it killed. It felt like it was such a beautiful little button to a moment. It felt both organic. It felt character based, and it felt right. 
So it's not like one of these things where in most TV shows or movies where they just start throwing popular songs in without any real motivation behind it. It's more just like the music supervisor going like, this is the tone that we're going for. This is the rhythm we're going for. You know, well, we're trying to elicit nostalgia or whatever. I, because it was a plot point, because it was a character moment, because there was so much involved in this goddamn cue that I had to fight for it. And I can safely say that as of last week, we finally, no, two weeks ago, we finally got the rights to it to be in the theatrical version. Which oh, is get a, out of town. Get out of town. A, which is no small feat. It, yeah. it, it was a lot of work. And I can't thank, I mean, it, it, I mean, it came from Dave Matthews himself, um, which was really, really kind of him. Like, he did not have to do that at all. And uh, between them and Sony, they just, they saw how passionate we were about having that song in, and the rest is history. So that is a beautiful example of the kind of id-based happy accidents that happened on the set of Mayhem. And if I was being, if I was trying to be more strict and organized and controlled and essentially stifling to the creative process, mm. none of that would be in the movie. And then essentially my favorite scene in the movie wouldn't even be there. So you're advocating ID7, aren't you, really? That's what you're saying. You know, <laughs> it's, it's honestly getting to that point. It's unfortunately getting to that point. And that's, that's the weird thing is that, you know, when you when you make a movie, in most cases, you know the, in, the the turnaround between the inspiration and the initiation of the project, and you know what you're going for and who you're trying to relate to. It's usually a year out, if not more, before you can actually test out your your assumptions on what's going to connect to an audience or not mm. is going to is going to happen. And obviously, as we know, like the world that we were in when when I was shooting this movie back last, you know, April is a, it's a different world than today. And, I, you know, the, the corporate world has changed and obviously America has changed, not for the better, unfortunately. Um, and and I and what's interesting is that the people who've seen the movie so far, both in America and also um, in Canada and in um, in a couple other countries as well, in Sydney and Melbourne, everyone still connects to it. You know, not not just on a on a kind of national level, but on a global level, because we are we're all going through this shit, and we all know what it's like to deal with a, a you know a, a, a shitty corporate um, environment that it, that doesn't feel like it's humanizing you, and you feel like a cog, you feel like you're you know buttle not tuttle in 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 Brazil, hmm. uh, and, and it's it's really heartwarming to know that like our scrappy little movie is connecting with audiences like that so far. I mean. I haven't shown it to, to the Fright Fest folks yet, and they can be a fickle bunch. So I, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to see what the reaction is going to be. Um, but, but I think we've all been through this, and, and we all need a little bit of um, uh, steam kind of let out I of it. I'd like to think you're playing. You're almost playing to the gallery in some senses. You're going to get a load of people who, 361 days of the year, are not at Fright Fest, mm -hmm. and for five days they are. So you're capturing them at the point where they're not, and if any of them have got any, if any of that corporate world touches them at all, then it's it's there, isn't it? And, and the fact is, you can watch your film as a simple hero's journey from bottom to yeah. top to get yeah, to get you don't, just you don't have to you don't have to work in that world to to mm. enjoy and relate it. I think anybody who's ever been oppressed before or who's ever been downtrodden or beaten down by work or life or whatever. And when you see someone that you genuinely enjoy to, you know, watching like Steven or like some or whatever, and they get put into this incredibly extreme situation, there's nothing better than, than watching the sparks fly from there, you know, and then be able to see it from a distance and go like, that's great. All right, cool. I'm going to, 
I'm gonna go now. <laughs> this this may seem like it was uh, one of the fun things for me was one of your, one of your supporting cast, uh, Kerry Fox. Oh yeah. Now I'm not used to Kerry Fox kicking anybody. Never mind fighting with people. So <laughs> you know I'm used to seeing her in dra- you know straight face drama. So I know. So how did that casting come along, and what was your conversation like with Kerry to say, look, I'm gonna have to you're gonna have to get you to stick your kit nail in somebody at some point or something, you know? We had we had a dickens of a time trying to cast anybody for the movie just because we were in Serbia and you didn't have we didn't have the resources that we could to make sure that you know. Um, it felt as Americana as possible because that, that, I don't think the movie would have worked if it was in another country. And also I knew that Belco was kind of taking the, the American corporate structure and doing it in Bogota. And I'm like, yeah, I don't yeah, want to, yeah, yeah. I don't want to have a satellite company. I want it to be America as much as I possibly could. Mm. So we just had to, we had to kind of infuse this with as much and as many people that would still reflect that. And, you know, there's something about Kerry when like, cause, and we were, again, we were just, desperate to try to find someone in whether it was a schedule or whether it was the you know the the script itself that people weren't connecting to at that point but um when carrie uh when carrie's name came up i was like oh my god are you kidding like like shallow grave holy fuck and then <laughs> and then she really responded to the script and what was interesting was that she she totally got it from the get-go she knew she knew her role and everything but she also knew that like what she needed to represent to allow Derek and Melanie and, and, and the audience to want to see her demise and, and want to see, you know, the, the, the comeuppance, so to speak. And, uh, and she was totally game for it. I mean, yeah, it was very surreal being on set and watching Samara Weaving and Carrie Fox, like beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, and, it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't in a cat fight sort of way either, which I can't fucking stand in most movies. This was, these two were coming to fucking blows and beating shit out of each other with glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, each other to the ground. It was a drop down, knockout, fucking war that day. Mm. And at the same time, we also, because of all that that chaos that we talked about before, I had things simultaneously going on. So in one room, you have Stephen and Andre beating the shit out of each other, and because it's all glass, we had to make sure that we saw everything, you know, in both ways. Mm. So they're literally beating the shit out of each other in the background while. You know, Stephen and, and Andre are doing it. And then you look on the opposite side, and, the, and it was so complex. And yet, all those actors were so game, even though that that whole space was so horrible to work in because there was no windows, there was no air coming through. It was really, really hard to deal with. So much so that I, I practically fainted on set, and they had to they had to hook me up to an IV for the rest of the day. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That's um, the ID seven for you. See, you shouldn't have it. <laughs> I, right? See? God damn it. Uh, I, noticed, yes. I noticed as well, you, you cast, uh, I, I'm not sure if I can pronounce her name, but Caroline Chikizzi. Chikizzi. And I, yeah. I, was, I was looking at her, where she's from. She's from Forest Gate, which is um, about three miles from where I'm sat right now. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, which she, is kind of mad. She's amazing. I, I work with Caroline in, on, uh, and Everly. And, and the problem with Everly was that I only had her for one day. Like, no, mm-hmm. two days. And I, I just, I fell in love with her. I thought she was so great and so talented. And I felt like, honestly, we kind of wasted her because mm. she was only in it for so long. But I was lucky that, would, I mean, look, that's a good problem to have when you have someone who's so talented, who just kind of comes in, makes her impression, gets the fuck out. Like, don't overstay their welcome. And when I read that script, I, I remember thinking, like, no matter what, like, I could totally see Caroline playing this part. Like, she mm. could nailed this and she was she was one of the first people that I cast um, oh, really? after after Steven um, once I knew especially that I was going to be 
in um, uh, in Europe, and I would have to kind of rely more on mm. British and European talent, which I'm already big fans of anyway. So she was just she was kind of a go to. Like it was just mm. an immediate like I gotta get Caroline for this. And then when she was like, "Wait, you want me back? Wait, I gotta go to Serbia. Fuck it, let's do it." And it was a blast. And just letting her go was was just such a sight to behold because it wasn't just two days; it was like two weeks. So to be to be able to enjoy all these actors for these you know these small pockets of time was like summer camp. Well, look, two more questions for you because sure. And, and, sorry, uh, sorry, it's taking so long. Hey, no, no, I'm enjoying myself. I just want to make you, I, don't, I want to make you <laughs> make you feel comfortable that this won't oh, be yeah, forever for you. Um, uh, uh, Steve Moore, did you sound the, the score for your film, which yeah. is which is a wonderful piece of music? And there was one particular moment I want to pick up on, and this, this reference might not might not scan, but um, in there's um, in the standoff with Siren, doesn't mm-hmm. I mean for plotting it doesn't people won't understand won't understand it at all. You've got Derek and um, and Melanie opposite, and it's yeah. and the music that's going on there. It was. It was just. It felt like um, there's an Italian disco band called Cerone who do a tune called Supernature, and I was like, "Is this going to kick into Supernature now?" And I don't know if you know uh, that tune or not. But... No, no, I do know that tune, and we tempt with that tune for a beat. We also used Carpenter no, Brute. Really? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we were, this was before. This was before Steve was even on. Okay. I knew from the beginning that I wanted like a synth sound, and I didn't want to do it. Like I knew it from the time that I even read the script. This is before um, It Follows came out, and, um, and and there was like a real boom of kind of synth wave, I guess you could say. No, that was, I mean, Steve, uh, Steve did It's that been around forever. Yeah, it, yeah it, it, Steve's been, you know, that whole wave has been around forever, but it just seems like in the last couple of years, it's been being, it's being used in, in a more like cheeky, nostalgic sort of way, and I'm yes. like, I don't want to do that, but I kept thinking like, what would the sounds of all these computers screaming what would that be in the office? Mm. You know, what what's the sound of the hums that are coming from the fluorescence and the computers and everything? It, everything felt very synthetic. So I thought, like, I might as well embrace that and bring a synthetic sound to the score as well to really accentuate that. So originally, you know, I, I've always worked with Bear McCreary, who's amazing, but he was busy with um, Colossal. And uh, and like five other movies at at Toronto, so he could at the last minute he goes, dude, I can't do it. I wish I could, but I just I'm swamped. And we had um, we had pushed like a couple weeks for the post, so we just it was bad timing all around. And because my editor Josh um, Ethier, who did like The Mind's Eye and Almost Human, um, he and I've worked together for years, and he was like, bro, why don't we just use why don't we use uh, uh, Steve Moore? I'm like, oh my god, why the fuck have I not even thought about that? Because I was a huge zombie fan. I love zombie. So it was just one of those click moments. And by that afternoon, we had a conversation and Steve was was in. And it was one of the most fruitful collaborations I've ever had. Even oh, really? Our, oh, yeah. Even though it was all done via Skype and email. But it was so inspiring. I mean, again, I, I was able to work with so many of my heroes on this, like like him, like Faith No More. Like I did a music video for Faith No More two years ago, like practically for nothing because I, they're my favorite band of all time. Hmm. And I've wanted to do one. It's like, you know, if you have a favorite band and you've wanted to do something with them forever and then you get that chance and they like what you did. And when I was coming up with the scene um, and I always thought like I wanted this to be a bit of a musical number and I needed a song because again, like that, that's something that everybody does. Whether they're working out or they're just, um, you know, doing, you know, uh, housework or whatever, 
or they're fighting, I don't know, like, or, or possibly in a getaway car driving in an Edgar Wright movie. Um, <laughs> you know, people like giving themselves soundtracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it fuels the moment, and whether that's a product of pop culture or not, but that's just the kind of world that we live. That's what I do. Like, one of my favorite scenes in movies of all time is this movie Copycat, this John Emile movie Copycat, that uh, Holly Hunter, Dermot Mulroney, Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney there's, Weaver a mo- yeah. there's a moment in the movie where um, it's your typical, like, cop aftermath you know police line scene where all the cops are coming to the crime scene and they're pulling over the the um the yellow tape and they're walking over and they're giving exposition so you see these two pull up and they're listening to some song and i don't even remember what the song was but they're listening to the song and you expect them to get out and the steady cam you know follows them and they just start doing their their exposition spiel but what was so fascinating is they they pull up and the music's playing and holly goes like just wait and they listen to the end of the chorus and then turn the music off. And I'm like, that was such a real moment that people do all the fucking time. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. wanted to do the same thing here in a way. So I thought, like, I needed a good song. And I was, again, this is pure id, but I was in my apartment in Serbia and I was listening to the new Faith No More album. And this one song, Motherfucker, came on and the entire scene gelled. In, in, in my head, what's on screen now is exactly how it all played out in my head when I heard that song. And the fact that the, the lyrics are, get that motherfucker on the phone, mm. it just like such a rally cry for Derek's plight. So like he's giving himself his own soundtrack. And, and because it's so organic and it's a diegetic song, which I also get another Dave Matthews band joke in there, which is great. Um, but but I also knew that I needed the song, and I called up their manager, who was so nice to me, um, uh, Bob Bob Moss, and just said like, look, you know, is there anything you can do to help me out? He goes, Joe, you got you got you guys did such a good job on this video, we'll give it to you for free. Whoa! I know I be, yeah, I, I know I shouldn't be saying that, but that's that's the level of amazingness that that Faith No More is, and and they still forever will be my heroes, and they made that scene. So that really was something that was really important to me, and I. I needed to make sure that that happened. But otherwise, like all the score stuff was so integral and Steve just knew how to bring all that stuff out. And it was it was amazing. I mean, I'm so excited because we just finalized the uh, the vinyl. So the vinyl is coming out uh, at the time of the at least the distribution. I mean, the theatrical release in the States, it, it should be coming out in November. But Relapse uh, Records is putting oh, out the, the vinyl soundtrack to Steve's score. And it's fucking awesome. Mm. Very thrilled. Was that this is going to sound like this may sound like an obtuse thing, but given your films called Mayhem and given you like metal, was you never tempted at all to try and sneak Mayhem oh. onto the soundtrack? Oh. oh, I did. Believe me, and and it was actually Josh who was like, "Dude, don't do it. That's too on the nose. It's too too." <laughs> at one point, I was even considering having Mel wear a Mayhem shirt, and I'm like, "That's just too cheeky. Like that that's a that's a bit that's a bit much." So I kind of went with uh, Black Dahlia Murder instead, uh, which I also knew because um, I'd done music videos for Metal Blade forever, and they've contributed three or four songs in mm. the movie as well. And uh, and they were just like, "Wait, you want to use one of our shirts? Sounds great. Why not?" Mm. Um, but yeah, oh, oh, it was uh, it was contemplated. Believe me. <laughs> well, look, um, you're going to be in town, I guess, aren't you, for for Fright Fest? Yes, I will be here. Uh, I will be in London um, from Thursday until Monday. Um, Mayhem plays on Sunday night, and uh, I am nervously excited, excitedly nervous, because this is the 10th anniversary since Adam Green and I uh, first came out to Fright Fest. Mm. And, and, and weirdly enough, we both have new movies. So this feels like, 
it feels like coming home. And, mm. and I, there's so many people there that I, you know, that, cause we, we've been since 2007, you know, we were coming back over and over again for years. And then just like in the last couple of years, just, you know, timing wasn't right or, or mm. just didn't work out or whatever. So this, this is very special for us and we're really excited to come and we got a couple surprises up our sleeve, which is always going to be fun. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a great time. And knowing that, that like, I have a movie that is so personal to me because really it, it, like I know every filmmaker says that, but this movie was so incredibly personal to me that I'm just so excited to share that with, with what I consider a second family, mm. which is all the fright fest people. Um, I, I'm, I'm so excited. Like, is it time for fright fest yet? Really? Cause I'm, I'm ready to be there. <laughs> well, look, thanks for giving us your time on the podcast. Oh, no problem at all, Stuart. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, like, uh, are you going to be there? Oh, yeah, I'm there. All, I'll be there all weekend, yeah. So I'll, well, then, uh, I'll, endeavor, we will... I'll endeavor to shake hands and say hello properly. Please, let's, let's, uh, and then let's go for a pint at the Phoenix. You have been listening to... The Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.